But, um, but in the original Greek and Hebrew, all those kind of make up the same word most of the time in the Bible. Uh, one of the important times is in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, blessed is da-da-da, and blessed is the da-da. You, you don't know that? We, okay, you know what the Bible is, right? We all know what the Bible is. Okay, and so uh, all those blessed words, they actually mean happy. It actually can be translated literally happy. So let me say it like this. God wants you to be happy. Everybody say, God wants me to be happy. Now, don't take this the wrong way. And if you're a new believer or you're not yet a, a Christian and you're, you're here searching Jesus, don't leave here and go rob a bank. And when they catch you, say, well, God wanted me to be happy and that's what makes me happy. Or go out and do drugs. God, John Paul said that God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to be happy, so I'm going to do drugs. No, no. God wants you to be happy doing what he's called you to do. He wants you to be happy in obedience to him. And there are times of sorrow. There are times of sadness. There are times of grief in life. But for the most part, God wants us to be happy Christians who have fun. Do you enjoy having fun? I don't believe all of you know what that's like. I believe some of you haven't had fun since 1975. But fun is needed in our relationship with Jesus. Psalms 144.15 says this, Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So picture this. I'm trying to win somebody to Jesus. And they say, what's it going to be like? Well, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be incredibly difficult. We're not going to have any fun. We're going to get together all the time and just read the Bible. And when we read it, we're going to read the King James Version. You're not going to understand nothing. So do you want to be a Christian like me? No, I don't think so. That's not a very good witness for us to be uptight, always stressed out. We can't take a joke. We're offended all the time. We go home and everybody's on edge because we're so caught up in building our own kingdom, so caught up in what didn't go right at work, who's not treating us right. We're not enjoying our life. Proverbs 14.30 says, A relaxed attitude lengthens life. Some of you are suffering from terminal seriousness. And if some of you smiled today, your face would crack open because it's been such a long time. I want you to, you know, when I read the Bible, I, I read it like I'm Steven Spielberg doing a movie in my mind, you know. I want you to just picture with me Jesus, 30 years old, and he's, he's in bed the night before his first recorded miracle is going to take place. And he's laying in bed and he's praying and he's saying, God, I'm so excited for tomorrow. I'm 30 years old. I've been studying, I've been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been humble, I've been learning, and I'm ready to start my ministry, and tomorrow's the big day. And then the Holy Spirit jumps in and says, well, Jesus, what are you going to do tomorrow? And Jesus says, oh, it's a surprise, but you're going to love it. God says, well, where are you going to do this first recorded miracle? In a hospital? Jesus says, I'll get there, but that's not tomorrow. The Holy Spirit says, are you going to do it in church? Jesus says, I'm going to get there, but that's not tomorrow. God says, are you going to go to that Bible study for four and a half hours and then do a miracle at the end of that? And Jesus says, I'm not doing that either. And they say, well, tell us at least what you are going to do. Are you going to heal blinded eyes? Not tomorrow. Are you going to raise somebody from the dead? Not tomorrow. Are you going to cause a paralyzed man to get up and walk? Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's a very special day, and I can't wait for you to see what I'm going to do. The next morning, Jesus gets up, and do you know where he goes? He goes to a party. And it wasn't just any party. It was a party. I mean, it lasted for days. It's one of those parties where you got somebody on the couch you've never seen before, and then somebody falling asleep in the kitchen. It was one of those parties. And you know what Jesus did? And this is going to go against some of y'all's religion. 
he got all the water in barrels and barrels of water, told the servants to bring it in, and he turned all of the water, his first miracle, he turned it all into chocolate milk. And everybody was so excited to have that milk. It was the best chocolate milk they ever had. That's not what happened. He turned it into Welch's grape juice. You know, when my mom was a little kid, her parents told her that white cows gave white milk and brown cows gave chocolate milk. And she believed that until she was in high school. Don't tell her I said that. She's at the next service, but don't tell us that. But anyway, so Jesus turned the water into wine. And it wasn't just like crown apple. Like it was the best wine they had ever had if you read the story. Some of y'all that goes against your religious thinking. Let me tell you something that's going to set you free today. God wants you to have just as much fun playing golf as he does when you come to church. Jesus wants to go with you when you're out on the beach, just like he wants to come with you when you go to Bible study. It is just as spiritual for you to worship God here in church on Sunday morning as it is for you to go play disc golf with your buddies. By the way, disc golf really is a sport, I'm told. Is Dave in here? Is, uh, yeah, it's, it's for women, but it's a really great sport. And so Jesus is just as happy if you play disc golf. Listen, he wants to have fun with you. Everybody say fun. We're not called to be stick in the muds and who always have a sour attitude and we're never laughing. Psalms 126.2 says this, When the Lord brought us back to Jerusalem, our mouths were filled with laughter. Then the other nations said, The Lord has done great things for them. Now, the witness that they were to other nations, tell me, why were all of these other nations seeing how God had blessed them? Was it because they could quote scripture? Was it because they carried their Bibles around everywhere they went? Was it because they were, you know, always making sure they did exactly what God wanted and never made a mistake? It was because their mouths were filled with laughter. What an incredible witness to an entire nation. When they saw people laughing, here's what they thought. Man, God has done great things in their life. I was reading a study that was done with Yale University. It said that they, 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 they researched uh, and studied all these people, very influential people, and they tried to find the greatest way that one person can influence another person. They studied their attitudes. They studied their IQs. They studied their appearance, the way they were dressed. They studied personalities. After extensive research, they concluded the single most powerful force that one person has in another person's life is their smile. In fact, the study went on to say that the smile of a friend has more impact than a $5,000 bonus. When I read that, I smiled at Trisha. I smiled at the youth leaders. The landscaper was out there cutting the grass. I gave him his Christmas bonus for next year too. I smiled at him twice. I said, here buddy, here you go. God is so concerned with our facial expressions. He mentions it 53 times in the Bible. 53 times he talks about how our faces should show that we serve a very mighty, mighty God in our life. It says in Job 8.21, God will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with joyful shouting. Um, I heard about this zoo owner. Uh, his zoo was kind of going downhill and he, he didn't have enough money to get the really you know, cool animals in there. 
And so they had to get rid of the, the big old gorilla that everybody loved because they didn't have the money to take care of him. So this guy decided to go out and buy a really expensive gorilla costume. And he paid a guy minimum wage to dress up in the gorilla costume and go out there, you know, and he said, when anybody comes by the glass, just go behind the trees and stuff so they can barely see you. Nobody will ever know. Even though they did that and it was working great, they still didn't have money to operate things, so they had to seek out some investors to come and maybe invest in the zoo. The day that the investors came, the zoo owner told the gorilla guy, they said, listen, man, today is your day. You've got to play it up like you never have before. You better do the best you've ever done. So the investors are walking by the gorilla cage, and, man, this guy's jumping up and down, eating bananas, beating on his chest. He started swinging from the poles they had. But as he was swinging, his hands got really, really sweaty, and he slipped off of one of the poles, flew over the fence into the lion cage. I'm telling you, that lion was huge and fierce, and this man started screaming, Help! Help! Somebody help me! All of a sudden, the lion opened up its mouth and said, Shut up, fool, or we'll both lose our jobs! <laughs> pastor okay <laughs> laughter here's some studies i found laughter releases the youth hormone that slows down the aging process and reduces blood pressure you ever met somebody that's like 40 or 50 and they look like they're 80 or 90 years old it's because they don't enjoy their life simply hearing other people's laughter reduces pain in your own body um, one of my older kids were little we lived in a house where the biggest part of the yard was on the side of the house of course, next to the other house. And so me and the boys, we would play and the balls would hit the house and we'd laugh and cut up and have a good time. We do this, we do this all the time. And um, this elderly couple moved in next door and the husband was blind. He's been blind his whole life. And so I started noticing whenever we were out there playing was the same time that he would go into his study next to the, on the side of the house and he would put the window up, you know, where, where the, the breeze could go through. And week after week this happened, I started feeling really bad because I thought, man, this guy's trying to have quiet time we're beating up against the house, laughing, playing. And so one day I went to the, the wife when she was outside, and I said, ma'am, I don't want to be a bad neighbor. I said, so tell me, do we need to start playing somewhere else? Because I feel like we're really bothering y'all. I'll never forget, she grabbed my arm, and she said, please do not stop playing in the yard. My husband intentionally sits there every day just to hear you and your children laugh and have fun. Isn't that amazing? A common denominator in all centennials. I, read, I was studying from another sermon, and I started just looking at video after video of a centennial. Centennials are people that live to be over 100 years old. And a common denominator in everyone that lives to be over 100 is this. They all love to laugh. They love to enjoy their life. This is why I love Mary Jane so much. Now, she's not a centennial, but Mary Jane is in charge of our senior stuff here. She loves to have fun. Nothing stops her from enjoying. She gets on her scooter and she goes to the, you know, the mall and she goes to Walmart. She goes on cruises. She can't walk a long distance. Doesn't bother her. She has that oxygen tank, you know, she carries around with her. Doesn't stop her from having fun. In fact, um, she, she's so secure. She even allows us to make fun of her and, and she just laughs it off. I was at her house for Christmas this past year and Mark was there and Mark says, hey, John Paul, watch this. And we look down 
and he steps on his mother's oxygen tank that provides oxygen to her mouth. And Mary Jane didn't mind at all. After she came to, she laughed and thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> he did do that. She didn't pass out, but he was just waiting to see. Because the tubes were, he was, she was in the other room. We were just waiting to see what was going to happen to her. That's why I'm her favorite son. But anyway, <laughs> Psalms 2-4. I never want you to forget this verse as long as you live. Psalms 2-4. Is it not up there? Oh, man. Please tell me. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, we missed it up there. Psalms 2-4 says this. The Lord who sits in the heavens laughs. For your notes, Psalms 2-4. Here's what I want you to hear from that. Number one, God created laughter. He created it. And here's what I want you to hear as well. Imagine, you have no many times, I've, I've, I've literally probably thought this a hundred times. I cannot wait to get to heaven and hear what the creator of the universe sounds like when he laughs. Isn't that going to be amazing to hear God laugh? Some of y'all have never thought about that. Anytime you think about God, he's judging and he's making sure this is right and this is wrong. But God sits in the heavens and laughs. Psalm 17 verse 22 says this, A happy heart is a good medicine, but a sad spirit dries up the bones. I was thinking, what would it be like in our homes if there was much more focus on having fun, laughing, producing joy, than is everybody doing everything they're supposed to do correctly. I wonder how much correction we bring in our home versus how much fun we have with the people in our home. I know um, I have five kids, and my middle son, Eli, he's very unique. Eli, somehow he was born with a desire to always do everything right and never make a mistake. Now, he's a teenager now, so that's changed a little bit. But for most of his life, he always wanted to do right. He never wa- in fact, it, it, he, we never had to spank him, ever. Never had to discipline him ever. When he was about three or four years old, our other kids always took pacifiers, but Eli would suck on his thumb. That was his go-to. I mean, he loved his thumb. He brought it with him everywhere he went. And he was always, <laughs> always sucking that thumb. And he was three or four. Sometime, and I remember the pediatrician said, it's starting to mess up his teeth. So I told him one day, I sat him down, and he's always been very little for his age, you know. And I said, I said, buddy, I love you so much, but you can't suck your thumb anymore. And you should have seen his face. He just could not understand it. He said, why? Like all these years I've done it. Why can't I suck my thumb? I said, because the doctor said it's not good for you, so you have to stop. Later on that night, I peeked in his bedroom, and he's literally in tears doing this. I said, Eli, what's wrong? You said you told me I can't suck my thumb, but I want to so bad. And he didn't want to get in trouble. So his whole life was based on, I'm never going to get a spanking. I'm never going to get in trouble. i got to do everything just right. He was just like that. When we first started pastoring, our church was really small, and we had our first pizza with the pastor, and it was at our home because the church was like 10 people in the library, so we decided to meet at my house. That night, I was wearing a, a jogging outfit. I had a sweatshirt on, a pair of jogging pants, and Eli was upstairs, and when you come down the stairs, you can't see anything until you get to the very bottom because there's drywall there. Eli didn't know anybody was there. I don't know if y'all know what it means to be pantsed. Anybody know what I mean? That's when you grab somebody's pants and you just do like that to them. And me and my older boys, we did that a lot growing up. Now that I verbalize it, it sounds very weird. But anyway, it was funny whenever they were, I guess it was funny. Anyway, it was funny. 
So Eli comes down the stairs. This is the first time any church, this is the first people I've ever pastored, okay? I'm 26 years old, I'm excited to pastor, and I'm standing there talking to people, and they're in the living room, and I'm in the kitchen, and Eli comes running down the stairs, and he doesn't know anything's going on, and he reaches behind me and pants me. I'll never forget the look on that poor lady's face. She's dead now, but <laughs> she's probably in heaven laughing right now. But I grabbed my pants, and when I turned around and Eli saw what happened, he started crying his eyes out. He thought for sure this was his spanking, first time he's ever going to be punished. I grabbed my pants, and I just started laughing as loud as I possibly could. And everything was fine, and it turned out okay. The more joy that's in our relationships, the quicker disagreements will cease. Let me teach you something I learned in marriage counseling a long time ago. If you want to have less strife, if you want to have less arguments, the goal isn't, let's not fight. The goal is not, we can't ever get any strife, let's not disagree. Here's the goal is this. Let's produce as much joy and fun in our relationship as we can so that when there's an issue in our house, we miss the joy so much that we will do whatever it takes to cease the fighting. Whenever you miss the fun in a relationship, it causes you to not care if you get your way or not. It causes you to not care if you get the last word or not. A few months ago, Mike and I got into a disagreement, and a disagreement is a Greek word for a knockdown drag out. And, um, and she didn't fight with me, and then it turned out to get over quick. And that night, she said, do you know why I didn't fight with you? And I said, because you knew I would win. And so that started another fight. But anyway... No, she said this. She said, because I love hanging out with you so much, I knew that if I continued in that fight, we were going to miss out on some fun. And I just didn't care if I got my way, if I didn't, whatever happened, because I love being with you. I love having fun with you. I enjoy our time together so much, the other stuff isn't that big of a deal. Do you know that the enemy's number one goal in your life, listen real close, his number one goal is not to destroy your marriage, it's not to destroy your finances, it's not to destroy your health. The first thing the devil's after in your life, in each area of your life, is your joy. Why is that? Because he knows the Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, don't be depressed because the joy of the Lord is where you get your strength. Listen real close. The areas of your life where you feel drained and you just don't want to be there and you can't stand are the same areas you've lost your joy. If you don't have joy at work, you don't have the strength you need to witness to those people. The strength you need to be faithful and have integrity even when nobody's watching you. The strength to not talk bad about the boss. If you don't have your joy, you don't have your strength. If you don't have joy in your marriage, you don't have the strength you need to stay in unity. To keep serving God together. If you don't have the joy that you're supposed to have in the Lord at church, then you're going to lose your excitement for church. You're going to lose your strength and you'll make excuses to stay home on Sunday morning. Because the joy of the Lord is where we get our strength from. And we can't be deceived. The Holy Spirit's happiness is not circumstantial. A lot of times we think, well, if I get this person to like me, then I'll be happy. If I start making more money at work, I'll be happy. If I get this promotion, I'll be happy. If I get this success, I'll be happy. But it doesn't say the joy of your success brings you strength. 
It doesn't say the joy of those people affirming you brings you strength. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And too many times we're deceived in thinking these other things will bring us happiness. So if this is you, let me tell you something that nobody's probably ever told you. I want you to pursue happiness in your money. I want you to pursue happiness in your relationships. I want you to pursue happiness in drugs, in pornography, in anything you can get your hands on because sooner or later you're going to discover that that is not the source of your joy and it will never last. But me telling you this, you're not going to believe me until you try it. You have to realize and go through it in your life and finally get to the point where some of you have gotten where you realize the only thing that can bring you joy is to ask yourself this, why am I here? God, how can I build your kingdom? Every day when I wake up, it's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about what I want. God, what can I do to make your name be known in this earth? That and that alone will always be the source of your strength and your joy. I'm telling you, we think so many times the devil deceives us that this person approves of me. I, and, and that actually used to be my biggest joy stealer. You know, it's so interesting how quick we give away our joy. When you give away your joy, you've given away your strength. When people didn't like me or when they didn't approve of me or when they didn't think I was, it would destroy my joy. I would lose all strength for pastoring, all strength for preaching. In fact, about last year or so, this elderly couple came and visited our church. And I could tell at the beginning of the service when I greeted them, they hadn't had joy in 30 or 40 years. I mean, they looked like they were coming to a funeral. Um, after the service, I greeted them again. They didn't stand up during the music. They didn't smile during the sermon, not once. They looked like they enjoyed themselves. At that night, they got on Facebook, and one of them put this under our Facebook page. It said this, the pastor was too playful and didn't take time to learn how to pronounce the Bible names correctly. When I read that, I, at first I got upset, and then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to give away my strength. I'm not going to give away my joy. And I actually have their visitor cards here. Their names were Andy and Lynn something like that. I can't pronounce her name. But anyway, if you're watching. Um, okay, where are we at now? So here's another point. If we allow anything outside of building the kingdom of God to dictate our joy, then those idols will always control our happiness. Let me teach you how you can know what an idol is in your life. Whatever takes your joy. You have to think. If something has taken the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit out of my life, then I have put more weight on that person or that situation or that position at work or that material object. I've put more weight on that than I have my place in the kingdom of God. Think about it. The things that you value the most are the things that can easily steal your joy. So unless you value kingdom of God more than kingdom of you, your joy will always be taken from you. So final five points, final five minutes. How do we get this Holy Spirit joy I'm talking about? How do we grow in it? How do we gain in it? I'm going to read you some scriptures and see if you can help me put it together. Psalm 1611, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. Everybody say fullness. fullness. Okay, it's in God's presence, right? So how do we get, it's not, called, it's not the omnipresence of God, it's the manifest presence of God is what this is talking about. How do we get the manifest presence of God to show up somewhere? Psalms 22, 3, God inhabits the praises of his people. Everybody say verbal. verbal. Everybody say verbal. verbal. 
I told you before that your vocal cords were meant to praise, to meant to worship. You cannot declare the good things about God and be depressed at the same time. Growing in affirmation to God, praise, worship, prayer, uh, reading the Bible, things like that produce faith, produce Holy Spirit joy. You grow in your relationship with God. Jeremiah 33, 11, they shall be happy as they sing sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving in the house of the Lord. For I will reverse the captivity and restore prosperity that was lost. When does God reverse and when does he restore? When we sing sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Isaiah 61, 3, he has sent them the garment of, everybody say praise, praise for the spirit of depression. So now, I want to show you something that I think is a biblical revelation. It's actually easier than this. I think I can prove to you biblically that every time you laugh, supernatural things happen in your life. You think I can prove that to you? We'll see. John 4, 14. Jesus said, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but the water I give will be a well springing up within him eternal life. So God put a supernatural well on the inside of us. Yes or no? Yes. Isaiah 12, 3. With great joy will you draw from the water of the wells of salvation. So the way we draw from this supernatural well is with joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength and you need strength to draw from the well. In the Bible, anytime there was an evil army trying to get one of God's people, they had this group of guys from that army called slingers. Not swingers, but slingers. Okay, don't be confused. It says in 2 Kings 3.25, the slingers would beat down the city walls and cast stones into the springs of water. So there were these evil guys who had these big rocks and they would throw it into the wells of water so that God's people would not have water they needed to survive and live and get healthy. So after the water dried up, after their well dried up, they would be easy prey for the enemy to come in, take over and kill them. Genesis 26, 15 says, all the wells which were dug in the days of Abraham, the Philistines had stopped them up with stones and dirt. So we see once again, the Philistines stopped up the father of our faith, Abraham, the wells that he dug were stopped up by an evil army with stones and dirt. Genesis 26, 18 says, Isaac cleaned out the wells of water which had been dug in the days of Abraham that the Philistines stopped up. Do you understand that we can do things in the natural that affect us spiritually? In other words, you can pray in the natural. And Daniel said that the angel came and it took him 21 days to fight through the forces of darkness in the supernatural realm. You can tithe in the natural. And God says, I'll open up the windows of heaven on your life. And part of blessing you can't even withstand. It's natural, spiritual. Um, you can praise God in the natural. And in the spiritual, he'll remove the depression off your life. We understand that. Natural, spiritual. Okay. Isaac cleaned out the wells. Out of everybody on planet earth who God could have chosen to clean out the wells that the father of our faith dug, that the enemies clogged up, God chose Isaac. Why would God choose Isaac? What was so significant about this man? 
there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people on earth and God chose Isaac. Out of everybody, can I keep building this up? Are we good? We can understand. Out of everybody he could have chosen, he chose Isaac. Why? It's because the name Isaac literally translates laughter. Every time we laugh, supernatural wells of joy come out of our innermost being. God created laughter. God laughs. He calls us to laugh. And every time we laugh in the natural, supernatural things happen in the spirit realm. Isn't that stinking awesome? 